Rolling Stones magazine released an updated version of the top 500 albums of all time. A list like this was bound to spark controversy. So I'm here to give my opinion on how these albums stack up. I'm Gibbs, and welcome to the Rolling Review. What is up everybody, Gibbs here with number 474 on the Rolling Stones' greatest 500 albums of all time. It's Big Star with number one record. Number one record was released on August of 1972, recorded through 1972 at Ardent Studios in Memphis, Tennessee. The genre of the album is power pop, though I have to say this had more of a rock and folk kind of feel to me. It was released on the label of Ardent. Producer was John Fry. Big star, mainly Alex Chilton and Chris Bell, were 15 years old when the Beatles decided to stop in Memphis, Tennessee, and those songwriters were heavily influenced by the Beatles, and Bell in particular wanted to model their songwriting on the Lennon-McCarthy partnership, which, just as the Lennon-McCarthy partnership, would end up not working out too great, as this would be the only album to feature Bell and Chilton. Bell would end up not being a member of the group anymore after this album, and a lot of critics felt like that was shown in later works that just didn't have the crispness and songwriting abilities that this one really showed, as they did try to model after the Beatles in the fact of having harmonies and adding more background vocals to the album. The release of this album was met by widespread acclaim, but due to a distribution issue with Stax Records to make the album available in stores, it meant that it only sold fewer than 10,000 copies on its initial release. But that's, again, only because the album wasn't available because of the distribution issue. So due to that, it's going to be hard to take in consideration the album sales when ranking this album as... It wasn't their fault that it didn't sell well, but more of a manufacturing issue. However, it would be re-released in the late 70s in the UK when EMI reissued it with the Radio City as a double LP package due to the increasing demand because people hadn't been able to get their hands on the previous album. And that same combination was used when the album was re-released again in 1992 when it was released on CD both with Radio City and Number One Record. But again, its initial popularity was high, and it received high praise, with Billboard commenting that every cut could have been a single, and Cashbox described it as one where everything falls together as a total sound. Many at the time thinking that a release like this would lead to Big Star being around for many, many years. Previous to this version of the Rolling Stone list being released, the 2012 list, Rolling Stone had this ranked at 434 on their list. So they obviously felt with more time that passed or more albums that have been released since then and added to this list, this one took a 40 album drop which is a pretty significant loss when you think of influential albums and stuff, but sometimes I feel like with these higher numbers on the list, there's not really 
an exact ranking or method to Rolling Stones when it comes to maybe slating these four to five hundred album rankings and maybe even a hundred to five hundred. It's hard to tell exactly what their criteria was in ranking these and sometimes I feel like Rolling Stone went really big with doing a 500 list and maybe it would have benefited them more to just tackle a hundred of the greatest albums because sometimes you feel that some of these albums are just getting put on to fill space and that they're not really taking into consideration and putting much thought into where they're ranking them as this one one in particular that has taken over a 40 album drop over an eight year span of time. Although it wasn't widely advertised when I was looking into the history of this album, it seemed to me like this album was definitely a chronicled relationship event where you have a few songs in there that aren't necessarily about relationships, but for the most part, this album is relationship-based. And you have songs like 13 earlier on that start out, and it's almost like the start of that relationship, the meeting, when they were still in school, as they call back to a time of innocence, where it's something just as simple as, can I walk you home from school? Do you want to go to the dance with me? And you would get this theme throughout that seemed like a very positive relationship experience. Most of the album hinting towards that. You get the tracks like 13, as I mentioned, and My Life is Right, and When My Baby's Around Me, and even the India song alluded to these notions of no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on in the world, or where I'm at, everything's going to be okay as long as I have this person by my side. And it seemed like they had such a high thought of their significant other. And then all of a sudden in the album, it takes a turn, and you feel like things in this relationship aren't going as well as maybe previously thought. Out of nowhere, seamlessly, it seems like you get a track like Give Me Another Chance, where the lyricist seems to address the fact that he may have some anger issues and maybe didn't treat this girl as nice. And it's basically just saying, you know, that's not going to happen again and give me another chance, which we most of the time know if there's a pattern of anger, it's most of the time there anyway. But this song is all about giving another chance and him seeing the error of his ways and by the closeout of this album, you still get the feeling that he hasn't made amends with that person yet as, and I, I honestly don't get the title of the track, it's ST100-6 is the track that closes out the album. And it's a very simplistic short track. I think it's, I think it's 59 seconds long. And the only lyrics in it, and it's a simple acoustic strumming pattern and it just says love me again be my friend i need you now i'll show you somehow and it still leaves that opening of he hasn't quite made amends for whatever he had done 
and he's still looking for a way to at least gain this person back as a friend because he needs them in his life. And I guess for me that raises the question of exactly what did you do? Because there's some things obviously that can be forgiven and you can move on from them. But certain things leave a lasting impression and that scar that will never go away and you can't make amends for him no matter how hard you try. So I don't know if they were writing this specifically about someone, if it was from a first person point of view or just some story that they were making up to write a good album. But that's just my take on it. I will say that this album had a good mixture of upbeat and more harder rock. Not really hard rock as we think of it today. But for the time, definitely a harder 70s rock sound to it. With the distorted guitars and the guitar solos and things like that. But then it also switched over to more of a folk sound, like I had mentioned before, more of acoustic strumming and simplistic instrumentation, but beautiful harmonies vocally. And I tend to gravitate towards those songs more. Those were more of my favorite tracks on the album, as 13 was probably my favorite track overall, which is, again, one of these slower acoustic songs but I really did like the callback to the innocence and the asking the girl to walk her home and asking the girl to dance. And just in one point of the song, he mentions, can you get your dad off my back? And it just kind of had a little humor in it and just kind of showed that innocence of an early on relationship. And I, I was really drawn to that. That's probably my favorite track. I didn't have a least favorite track, but I just felt like... The heavier songs on the albums, they would sing more in that upper registry, which didn't sound bad by any means, but I personally think they sounded better toning it down, taking it down a few octaves, and doing those softer songs. I felt like that fit their style a little better for the album, as opposed to doing these upbeat, harder songs. As for where I ranked this album... I know Rolling Stone already knocked it down 40 albums, but I'm going to knock it down a little more to 483, as I don't really feel this album was super influential. It Obviously, it didn't sell well, but that can't really be taken into effect because it was more of a manufacturing issue and not the fact that people weren't enjoying what they adhered. But at the same time, they almost seemed to be a copycat. They wanted to mimic the Beatles so much. They wanted to have that songwriting tandem. They wanted to have the harmonies. And it's almost like they didn't... They weren't able to be their own thing. And that... Sometimes the originality in a group is very, very important. Especially when you're considering a list like this. You know, what are you contributing to music that's going to stand the test of time? And just copying someone else and their formula isn't really the way to go about that. And I think that Rolling Stone even proves that a little bit in the fact that over an eight-year span of time, 
40 more albums jump this album on their list. That's a testament to, okay, this album maybe isn't aging as well as we initially thought, and as more things come out, as more things are taken into consideration, maybe this album wasn't as great as we once thought it was. So 483 is where we're at with that one. That will move Cheryl Crow up to the new 474 spot. You can always email me your thoughts at the rolling review at yahoo.com searching me on Facebook at the rolling review and liking the fan page where you can see the updated list that we've been through so far here next time at 473 I'll be going through Daddy Yankee Barrio Fino until then I'm Gibbs this is the rolling review stay safe and be kind <laughs>